Thank you to everyone who's read, uh, led us in prayers, and of course to our amazing first ever vintage choir. Um, it's great to have them with us this evening. Christmas is such an amazing time, isn't it? And it's a time for adventures. I know a lot of people will be on the road right now. They may be wishing that they're not on the road right now, given the weather across much of the US. Um, I don't know what your experience has been of traveling over Christmases. In 2019, Laura and I had just arrived into California, and uh, we were facing the first ever Christmas that we'd had without our close friends and our family around us. And Vintage Church Pasadena hadn't launched yet. It was about to get off the ground. And so we thought, why don't we take a break? Why don't we take a few days over Christmas? And someone told us that the Sequoia National Forest is an amazing place to go if you want to get out of LA. And so we booked this little Airbnb log cabin up near California Hot Springs, and it was only supposed to be two and a half hours away. And so we, we packed the car, we put the bikes on the back, everyone was very excited, and at midday on the 26th of December, we set off. And I, I put in my phone the destination, and up it came. But for some reason, the first signs that something was wrong was that it didn't say two and a half hours. Uh, it, it said four hours. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, that's all right. But then there were these little words which said, grapevine closed. Now, just forgive me because I was new to LA and I didn't know what the grapevine was or why it was relevant to a journey. Um, I, I now know, in case you're not from around here, it is the only way uh, outside of LA to the north, uh, particularly over holiday seasons. Um, after four hours, though, um, we were not at our destination. Uh, we, we were actually out in the Mojave Desert and it looked just like this, uh, out near Spaceport um, in, in a blizzard. After seven hours, we limped into Lake Isabella, which is at the very bottom tip of the Sequoia. We were exhausted. The kids were basically in tears. We were all hungry. We were tired. We were like just absolutely fed up. And to be honest, a little bit scared because there was snow all over every road. So we wolfed down the only nutritious dinner that we could find anywhere. Taco Bell. Uh, sorry, <laughs> d don't judge us. Don't judge us. And we headed for what should have been the last one hour, which the map said was just up the Kern River over a small mountain pass and dropping down into California Hot Springs. Thought at least, at least we're going to make it there for, for bedtime. And so we headed off. It's, it's pitch black by this point. Everybody in the car has had enough. We could hear roaring water from one side from, from the river. You could see like snow everywhere all over the road and up on the hillsides. And we're, we're climbing up in the pitch black. But, you know, that, the reassurance of Google was, seemed good at that moment. It said, you look, just 40 minutes to go. Just 30 minutes to go. Just 25 minutes to go. And then suddenly, out of the gloom in the pitch black, was this huge concrete barrier across the road. Of course, what I had failed to realize, and what for some reason Google decided not to bother to say, is that you can't cross the mountain passes in the Sequoia in the middle of winter ever. They're completely closed. And so here we are, it's like nine o'clock at night by this point, where everyone is exhausted. We know that the only way round is a four-hour round trip back down the mountain, all the way around to Bakersfield and up the other side. And, and you just, you know, there's moments when you're just, you're just done. We're just done. And Laura's looking at me like, Ben, what are you, what is going on? The kids are like not happy at all. And all I can remember, though, is that about 10 miles back down the mountain, there'd been this sign. And all it said on it was just the word, open. 
We didn't, didn't know what it was open to, but anything seemed like a good idea, to be honest. And so we, down we came, and we sort of slipped our way into this parking lot, and we, and we pulled up, and we knocked on the door of these kind of wood chalets, and this very gruff-looking, like, uh, slightly older gentleman came out and said, yes, and I said, I'm really sorry, my best British accent. I'm so sorry, I'm very lost. Um, but can you help us? And amazingly, amazingly, he, he opened his house, opened his doors, opened up this log cabin, and put on the heat and bed us down for the night. In fact, he cooked us the most incredible cooked breakfast the next morning before sending us on our way. It was 24 hours door to door to get to California Hot Springs. Go somewhere else this Christmas. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had those moments, though, where you just feel lost. You feel far from home. You almost feel sick because you're just so bewildered, so disorientated, you don't know what's going on anymore. I don't think you even have to take a big journey to feel like that sometimes. Over the last couple of years, I think we've all experienced stuff in our world which has left us with some sense of like, what is going on around here anymore? Well, I think 2,000 years before we ever felt like that, a young teenage pregnant couple felt like that as they journeyed for hundreds of miles on foot to try and get to a census so that they could then find somewhere to give birth to their baby born, baby boy. And what's surprising, though, is that 2,000 years later, we are all still talking about it. Two billion people estimated around the world this week will stop, just like we're doing, and celebrate this story of this teenage pregnancy and this baby being born. How can that possibly be? Well, of course, it's because the story of Christmas is not just the story of a baby being born. It is about Jesus. And Jesus brings so much more than a human life. He brings hope. He brings salvation. He brings healing. He brings direction and meaning and purpose to our world. But he also brings it to our lives and our hearts. And in that reading that we've just heard from John's gospel, we hear why this little baby brings so much transformation, even though born out the back of a motel in an occupied land. He brings hope and joy and peace and love. Light in the darkness and a way to get back home again. John tells us three reasons why the story of Jesus, the reality and history of Jesus makes that possible for us. And the first is, is that Christmas is about God coming to us. John says this, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. God has come in Jesus, the incarnation. Now just take this in for a moment, because it's one of those things it's very easy to say at Christmas, but maybe it's very easy to forget very quickly after. But just take this in. The eternal, the cosmic, the creator, the one who made the big bang, who flung stars into space, who created everything that's ever existed, would become human become flesh and make his dwelling amongst us. This is the wonder of Christmas. And let's be honest, it's a crazy claim. How could that possibly be that someone so mighty, so eternal, so powerful would yet choose to be born as a baby? And because of it, we actually get to know what God is like. Not because we guess, not because we have a vague idea, but because Jesus actually lived and he actually walked and spoke on the earth. John says, verse 18, No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. It's just so crazy. 
John's like a lawyer trying to explain throughout his gospel, throughout this book, about why this matters, about what happened. And he starts in verse 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word. And it's an echo. It's an echo of the very first words in the whole Bible, which start, In the beginning, God. God created all that is. But why does he say word? Because that's an interesting thing to say. Well, he says word because God literally spoke creation into being. He said, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. The words of God are the creative force of God. It is an expression of him, not separate, but part of him. But there's actually something even more going on because what actually John says is he uses the word logos, And Logos was in contemporary Greek culture fully understood as the mysterious power and source behind everything in the universe. Everyone in that time was looking, trying to find out where the Logos came from. Heraclitus, around 500 BC, described the Logos as the omnipresent wisdom by which all things were steered. Stoics defined the Logos as the divine animating principle pervading the universe. Maybe we're a bit different today. But have you ever heard someone says, say something like this? The divine energy, the ultimate source, the supreme good, the great consciousness. And in that way, what John says isn't very controversial at first because he says, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. And people would have said, yeah, sure, we fully understand that. But then suddenly, in the middle of what he says, he takes this dramatic right turn when he says this. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He, what? He said he. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, hold on, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And everyone would have been asking, like, why why are you suddenly talking about a person? Who is this him that we're talking about? Well, he doesn't stop there. He goes on, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Hold on, this is a human we're talking about all of a sudden. What's going on? Well, verse 17, he says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through. Here it comes. Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but the only one and only Son, who is himself is God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the wonder of Christmas, that the Logos, the creating principle behind everything that exists in the universe, came to earth as a tiny baby. The one who flung the stars into space has become human. J.I. Packer says The word became flesh. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and talked like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the son of God was a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of incarnation. Never lose the wonder of the enormity of the Christmas story. But maybe you're here today and, and you're, just, you're visiting and you're like, I, I don't normally come to church and I've never really even heard this kind of thing before. Isn't that just a little bit too much, Ben? 
Like, you know, Jesus, yes, he was a nice guy. You know, yes, he did some good things. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he taught us some helpful things. But to say that he was God, isn't that just a little bit beyond what, is, what we want to believe today? Well, possibly, except, of course, that it's true. It's true. The second wonder is that in Jesus, we find what is actually true in the world. The word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In fact, if you read John's gospel from the start to the finish, and hey, you can do it in the length of a Christmas movie, so why not do it this Christmas? You actually find John spent the whole time explaining what this is all about. The very last words John ever says in his gospel are this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He realizes this is a staggeringly large claim. But that it's not just vaguely true. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just something that makes us feel a bit warm on Christmas Eve. It is the staggering reality behind all that is real. Now, I know that, you know, we probably find truth claims quite hard over these last couple of years. With all the, like, the fake news and the conspiracy theories and everything going on, sometimes it feels almost easier for us to just talk about, like, my truth. You know, live your truth, man. Live your truth, girl. I'll live my truth because our truths can be different. But I think deep down, we sort of know that truth matters and that truth is what we use to foundation everything else around us. Certainly, post-truth isn't very satisfying. I don't know if you've ever been to the bank and you know, said, hey, can you tell me what's in my bank account? And the bank has gone, well, what's true for you, sir, might not be true for us. It doesn't really work. I mean, in fact, sometimes I wish post-truth was a thing because then I could go like, when I go to get on the scales after Christmas, I could say, ah, oh, well, what's true for you scales isn't true for me. <laughs> that would be super helpful. But actually, we know. We know that things are real and that there are things that matter. Bono was once asked, is it really true that Jesus was the Son of God? He was asked this, Christ has ranked among the world's greatest thinkers, but Bono, don't you think son of God, the truth, isn't that just a bit far-fetched? And Bono, he replied, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christian story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, but actually Christ, he doesn't let you off that easily. Christ says, I am God incarnate. So what you're left with was either that Christ was who he said he was, or he was a complete nutcase. As you had a good Irish accent, so it would have been different. Nutcase. I'm not joking. Sorry, that was bad. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have had its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. You know, when you read the Gospels, what we find is over and over again, we give out the Bible to people here, we do it on the streets, and actually in the lobby today, we've got copies of the New Testament, and if you've never been given a Bible, we'd love you to take one, because over the course of a few hours, you can read John's Gospel, and what we find is over and over again, people read the Bible, and their lives are changed. Why? Because they find truth, and truth matters. Truth sets people free. 
So it happened. I want to say to you today that it's real and it matters. But maybe there's just one thing that's even more important than the when and the how and the what. And that's the why. Why did it happen? Molly Ziegler Hemingway, she writes in First Things, the deepest mystery of Christmas isn't how Jesus was conceived and born, it's why. Why would Almighty God care so much about losers like us that he would humble himself to take on human flesh and enter humanity at such a low station? As intellectually and technology advanced as we become, this incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is just as unfathomable to us as it was to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men 2,000 years ago. Like, why? If God is real, if he is supremely powerful, why would he bother to humble himself and come down and be born amongst all the mess and all the nastiness and all the chaos and all the darkness in the world, ultimately knowing that he would be one day betrayed and falsely accused and rejected and tortured and killed? Why would you bother to do that? Well, we know why, because John tells us, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Why? Why did God come in the person of Jesus to save us? to bring light into the very most broken, darkest places of humanity and creation. God didn't move on. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. Rather, he stepped in. He moved in to our stories. He saw all the brokenness and then arrived as the light in the world. We were lost. And maybe tonight, if you're really honest, you know that that's your story too. That somewhere deep inside there is this feeling of lostness, of brokenness, of searching. Well, the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection is God's rescue plan for the world. It's for you and it's for me. And it cost him everything to do it, but he did it because he loves you that much. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness of greed and injustice and racism and sickness and pain. He came to save us. You know, it's such a different story to what I think most people are told about religion when they're growing up, right? You know, we think religion is this idea that we should search for God, that therefore we should behave properly, and if we do all of it really well, God might like us. Well, that is not the Christmas story. In fact, it's the complete opposite of the Christmas story because the Christmas story actually tells us that Christmas is about God searching for you. About God searching for me to come to rescue and save us. And it's a story for everyone. Maybe you think like, oh, that's all right for religious people. That's all right for people who dress in a particular way or attend church services or do the right kind of things. But God wouldn't love me. But yet, amazingly, it is a story for the whole world. You know, I think at this time of year, we get a little bit confused between Santa and Jesus. I heard a stat that every year there are 5% more songs about Santa and 5% less songs about Jesus. And I think if we're careful, they can get a little bit scrambled in our head. 
Um, and we should be careful, because I think some of the songs about Santa are actually just a little bit alarming, if, 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 you, if we're not careful. One of the ones that I like the most, but scares me to death, is this one. Santa Claus is coming to town. You know this song? I won't make you sing it, but it goes like this, in case you were wondering. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's freaky, right? Okay. He sees you while you're sleeping. Clearly illegal. Uh, he knows when you're awake. Stalking. Uh, he knows if you've been good or bad. So be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. Clearly true. You better not cry. You better not pout, and I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. If that wasn't keep you up on Christmas Eve, I have no idea what will keep you up. Ah, it's very, very scary. <laughs> Somewhere there's an arbitrary list. Some people are good enough. Some people are not good enough. Somehow you've got to know which list you might be on. And if you make the good list, then you'll be okay. If that's the story of God, I don't want to know anything about it. But it isn't. The story of Christmas says that none of us could make it. None of us deserved it. None of us could fix our own darkness, our own problems. But yet Jesus came to fix them for us. It's a gift, an unmerited gift you did not deserve and I did not deserve. It's something we just have to respond to. John says in verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, that's the response, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He came to bring you back home. He came to put light into your darkness. He came to be the truth. He came to give you a hope and a future. And I want to finish with this little story, which is from Donald Miller's book. It's a story about his friend who was a Navy SEAL. His friend was performing a covert operation, freeing hostages from a building in some dark part of the world. His friend's team flew in by helicopter, made their way to the compound, and stormed into the room where the hostages had been imprisoned for months. The room was filthy and dark. The hostages were curled up in a corner, terrified. When the SEALs entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages. They stood at the door and called to the prisoners, telling them that they were Americans and they'd come to save them. The seals asked the hostages to follow them, but the hostages just would not move. They sat there on the floor and hid their eyes in fear. They were clearly traumatized and didn't believe their rescuers were really Americans. The seals stood there, not knowing what to do. They couldn't possibly carry everyone out. One of the seals, though, got an idea. He put down his weapon. He took off his helmet and curled up tightly next to the other hostages, getting so close his body was touching some of theirs. He softened the look on his face and put his arms around them. He was trying to show that he was one of them. None of the prison guards would have done this. He stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him, finally meeting his eyes. The Navy SEAL whispered that they had come to rescue them and that they were there to take them home. Will you follow us? He said. The SEAL stood to his feet and one of the hostages did the same. Then another and then another, and then another, until all of them were willing to go. The story ends with all of the hostages safe on the American aircraft carrier. 
Jesus came to meet us, came into our darkness to save and heal and redeem us. And his invitation to every single one of us tonight, whether it's for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, is to come and come to him, to receive him, to love him. We're going to respond tonight by having our last of our readings. And it's the story of the Magi who come hundreds of miles, not Jews, but they come and lay their crowns, lay their gifts, and get down on their knees and worship Jesus. And maybe this evening that would be your response too. Maybe you would just simply like to invite him to come into your life, to start a new adventure, a new journey with him bringing light into your darkest places.